Hello from my Ram Cave, and welcome to the Greatest Show on Grass podcast. I'm your host and ringmaster, Joshua Newman, and I'm joined today by Tanisha Singleton. The Greatest Show on Grass explores the past, present, and future of the recently reborn L.A. Rams. That was the Beastie Boys with Sabotage, the song that blared from the loudspeakers as the L.A. Rams burst out onto the Coliseum field on Sunday, wearing the classic blue and yellow that they've worn as far back as the 1970s. I feel like Bill Plaschke of the LA Times nailed it, um, and we can just kind of give him his Pulitzer right now. Um, in the morning after the 9-3 to victory over the Seattle Seahawks, he wrote in the LA Times, quote, this is what happens when you wait two decades for the return of your football team. You don't leave early. You stay to the sweltering end. You raise your sweaty souls above creaky coliseum seats in the final moments of their homecoming game, and you roar with hope and rage and history. You roar loud enough, nearly all 91,000 of you, to inspire your weary and backpedaling Rams defense into one last stand. You roar long enough, your hands waving in the air, to turn the charging Seattle Seahawks offense into jelly. One false start penalty, then a lost fumble by Christine Michael to clinch the game. You roared deeply enough late Sunday afternoon to make an old defensive end weep. Hall of Famer Jack Youngblood shaking his head in the locker room after the Rams 9-3 victory in the first regular season NFL game played in Los Angeles in 22 years. Well, I would say that lived up to the hype. And sweltering is a good word for it. I can't imagine. What was it like for you uh, being there? It was it was insane. It was um, it was just a wild party um, at the end of the day. I never heard a I was never part of a crowd that was that large, loud or large. Um, it was the ninth largest um, attended Rams game in history. Um that, you know, there was a feeling that you were impacting the game with the false starts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was star studded. There was, a, there was everything. Every, there was, you know, it was the connection to history. It was Eric Dickerson lighting the Olympic torch. It was the Olympians. It was the Lakers. It was the Kings. It was LeBron James. You know, it was Elizabeth Banks. It was, um, CeeLo and the Red Hot Chili yeah. Peppers. and um, It's everything that I expected football in L.A. to look like coming back now in 2016. Like, it was star-studded, like you said. There were, you know, a few things that I thought were interesting and just kind of made me go, ah, you know, like the Kobe chance when LeBron came out. Yeah. That naturally, I get it. It's an L.A. town. It's a Laker town. It's Kobe's town. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. But come on. It was on. totally funny. <laughs> it totally was funny, funny, but come on. Like, if I was there, I would have gotten no fight. Yeah. But, um, there were fights as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, if you wanted fights, they were there for you as well. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I saw some things about that, uh, some video about it online where I'm like people rushing their kids out, you know, and holding their ears because of all the swearing and stuff going on. And that part's scary, but that's just also professional sports. Yeah. You're going to get that anywhere that serves alcohol, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, you can't predict anything like that. But um, even Will Hayes, uh, he didn't tweet um, on Instagram. He posted a picture of the of the crowd and so like this is the real 12th man yeah and wow. that he just was so proud of us being yeah. there and supporting and and making a difference like you said because i think it did impact some stuff and it might have taken seattle a little bit off guard yeah i don't think um you know neither of us thought the rams would win this no, game no. i i don't think the rams would have won this game in seattle right um agreed but um but yeah it was just 
it was just a wild time. I didn't leave my seat to even go to the back. The only time I left my seat was to uh, get my, I got my, uh, I was wearing my 76 jersey, my Orlando Pace jersey, and I got it signed by the Yes, yeah. you did. Well, actually, it wasn't me. It was a, a friend of mine who had the courage <laughs> to scream his name. Someone yeah. But um, that was an exciting <laughs> But moment. you got it. That's I'll the point. For, yeah, I'll never forget that. Um, That's amazing. He's my, he's my all-time uh, favorite. Ram. They also wore my favorite jersey, I think, in and sports. That was a big deal, too. I Such mean, a huge deal. Just the when they ran out onto the field. I bet you had goosebumps. It was crazy. There's something, you know, it, it's the combination, I think, of the nostalgia for the mm-hmm. lost for the lost team and the, the clothes that wore that they wore. That right. was really what marked them um as belonging to Los Angeles. And that's really what that's all a lot of LA Rams fans have had to cling to for 20 right. years. They've that's been their team. It's been this fictitious team that they've mm-hmm. clung to, um, team in their memory. And those colors have been a symbol for that. They're also that just jersey, incredible. You know? It's just they're just like so between the color, the blue and the yellow, and the like blue clean, sky and the man. green grass. Yeah. It's just like it looks like a a dr- like a, a little kid drew a picture of a football game. It's just like. Taps into that, um, the Crayola kind bright. of primary mm-hmm. bright colors. And um, yeah, the sun was, I, I don't think I've ever enjoyed the sun so much. Honestly. <laughs> Probably baking, baking and just every second, like every inch of your skin Could being feel reminded that you're in Los Angeles and that this is happening here. You're outside you know, watching was, a Two years ago, game. I saw this team play in, um, in San Diego. And that was mm-hmm. like the closest thing that I had to this feeling. Like, And I was just like, marveling in the middle of that game like what would it be like in the coliseum mm-hmm. um and you and, got it and we got it we all of us got it which was terrific um we didn't get a touchdown but we got no, a game but a lot of good came out of this game i think i think we know that we have a great defense we don't just have like a good defense we have a top tier you know top 10 defense yeah i mean donald and quinn um just wreak havoc all day yeah. on russell wilson um there was great play across the defensive line. The linebackers were really good. Ogletree and Barron led the team in tackles, and they're just such. They're in. They just look like they enjoy football. Yeah, you know? they just like in. They're just jump. They just have a spring in their steps, and they play well together. And mm-hmm. they just um just swarm to the ball. And and you know, I think Lamarcus Joyner, uh, whatever he's playing, uh, nickel corner, third corner, third linebacker, whatever he is, he had his best day as a pro too. I mean, there were like, um, you know, I, I think I've been really critical of him at times, but he played with a chip on his shoulder and, and didn't make that usual Lamarcus Joyner bonehead mistake during mm-hmm. the game. Um, yeah. From the jump, when I saw it was early. It was early in the game. They they established a tempo. They said, we are here. It's not going to be just like Monday. Mm-hmm. And the defense showed up. And I think sometimes the defense has to lead to better offense. And at least in setting the tempo and the emotional standpoint of that, mm-hmm. defense can do that better than offenses. And I remember there was really early, it might have been the Seahawks' first offensive possession when they uh, Hayes got to, uh, got to Wilson and forced him down. And he just jumped up and he was screaming yeah. and shaking, moving his arms and he was screaming like, let's fucking go. Yeah. And he was just going, and that, that made me sit up a little bit and be like, yes, yeah. some emotion. Yeah. There it is. There's this mob squad that we keep talking about. Yeah. I mean, I hope this isn't the, the final product. I mean, I, I, if the defense is in you know, the top 10, that would be great if the special teams continue to play the way they've been playing. Wonderful. But, you know, this offense is, I mean, 
last in completion percentage, last in total points, last in total yards per game. Um, they can't pass the ball. They also can't run the ball. They're, they're mm-hmm. um, second to last in yards per rush, 28th in rushing yards per game, um, and 30th in the long, the longest rush they've had all season is only 11 yards. Um, I think a lot of the focus and criticism on the quarterback position is a little misplaced. I mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. it's not su- such a big deal. I mean, it may- Carson Wentz's success and Dak Prescott's success make it feel it egregious does. that Jared Goff isn't playing. But either way, they weren't expecting – they are expecting to be, be a field manager this year. And essentially Case Keenum's doing that. But what what's not happening – I mean, what did the – run if, you're, if your running backs are – um, second to last in yards per rush, and your quarterback is last in completion percentage and and uh, last in passing yards per game. And what do the quarterback and the running back have in common? Offensive line. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's the thing that this team, the fans leading up to the draft through training camp, have really overestimated. I think they have maybe two above average players on that or maybe average players on that line. Roger Saffold, um, I think he was the only one that graded positively for mm-hmm. pro football focus. And, you know, as long as he stays healthy, which, you know, which is not good um, that he stays healthy um, because he generally doesn't. But as long as he does, I think we'll be, we'll be safe there. Rob Havenstein didn't really have training camp. So the fact that he hasn't looked himself at right tackle probably isn't that big a deal, but I mean the other three positions. I mean uh, we, especially center, which I, they didn't even consider doing anything at the center position. They're in for some reason they're in love with Tim Barnes, but they're constantly getting overpowered at the point of the attack. They've already replaced their right guard, uh, Jamon Brown, with Cody Wickman, who was just like nobody even thought he would make the team last year. And Greg Robinson, well, you know. He uh, let up that sack, and uh, the the Seahawks defender was called for the face mask. Um, mm-hmm. the Fifteen yards in the first down, like exactly how they designed it. Um, <laughs> that was his Mid best, that. best play of the game. <laughs> but uh, you know, uh, the offensive line is the, uh, to me it's the, it's clearly the common. It's just harder to rail against an offensive line yeah. than the visible targets, which are like. What's wrong with Gurley? Right. When's Goff going to play? Because you bring up a good point. Like, those are the two positions, too, that naturally everyone wants to play even growing up. When you play in the backyard, you're either the quarterback or the running back. Like, those are the two face positions, I think, in football. Yeah. And you add L.A., you add the history, you add the training camp, Hard Knocks, all that stuff that, that you just said. In this market, there's going to be higher expectations from in those two positions. Mm-hmm. and it's hard to get people engaged in the team by talking about who should be starting at right guard. Right. Who should be the backup, right. you know, who should move to left tackle to compensate for the weak link. It's hard. I mean, that's not the average fan is not interested in that. Right. That's and not a sexy the average, position. And- uh, water cooler debate isn't about, you know, whether Tim Barnes is strong at the point of attack. Mm-hmm. Um, I get that. Um, I just find the whole all this all the debates pretty silly, and I also think it's strange the way that even like the educated fan, even the like 
press gets caught up in this. Yeah. Um, but um, I don't think we should panic about Goff. I think Case Keenum is better than he showed his first game. Probably how he was the second game is, I think this is actually, I don't think he played above. Um, this is who he is. I think this is who he is. Yeah, I think. Um, and he made plenty of bad throws on Sunday. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. at least he made a few efforts to go down the field and stretch it out a little bit, and I was happy about that. I'm like, okay, yeah. there's there's some signs in this. And they had way more success on the edge than I imagined they would against Javon Sheed and Richard Sherman. Yeah, I'm, we're talking about the Seahawks. <laughs> long catches beating people down. That's just how much they were keying on Gurley to some extent, but but still, I mean, they executed down mm-hmm. the field, which was really nice. Yeah, I... This was kind of a redemption game a little bit. We obviously saw the worst of the worst. We saw... So the worst of the offense. We saw the worst of the offense. We saw a a tragedy. We we didn't see a pro game. Yeah. So this was a little bit of a redemption in that second date, kind of. You know, the, the first impression was really, really bad left a horrible taste in your mouth and you had to wait an entire week to see what they were going to do and if they were going to make the adjustments. And I, they did a 180. They completely, I think this was a little bit of a redemption game for them and it, they needed it. They showed the fire and they showed some, some effort. There was the energy there that like we were talking about. And I think it's just going to be week to week and making these building blocks. Like I said, for this being for this, for this team to mature and, Keenum looked comfortable. He looked a lot more like we saw, you know, there was no turnovers. They won that battle. Um, And when you can do that, you always have a chance. Um, You know, I wanted to return to a segment we were doing a whole lot uh, earlier in the year called Ramdom. Yeah. We were talking about uh, a ram popping up in pop culture. And I I was wondering, did you get a chance to hear Case Keenum uh, on the air with Ryan Seacrest? I did. I did. I listened to that. It was funny. And... It's his wife got on and they started talking Kimberly about the Keenum. breakfast. Kimberly yeah. showed Our, up. Case and Kimberly Keenum. Our answer to Russell Wilson and Sierra. And Sierra. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, that's what we got. Kimberly, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm such a big fan. I watch you on HBO on Hard Knocks. Thank you. It was, thank you. It was fun, a fun experience for sure. Well, fun. But those plays are complicated, man. I, 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 I feel for you having to help him memorize those plays. Yeah, it took me a while to finally figure out how to even read the place to him. So it's been a process for me, but I love to help him study and get prepared. What are you making for breakfast for our quarterback right now? <laughs> well, this morning, I mean, not always, not the healthiest, but we did waffles this morning. It's one of our favorites to do. And, victory waffles. Yeah. Victory waffles. Victory I think you deserve some victory waffles. <laughs> It was interesting and it was cute and it was, you know, an extension of hard knocks when she's there helping him call, uh, helping him study the playbook. And Seacrest is all in. It's he is. so amazing. He is. What I think is interesting is that, you know, when, when the Rams traded up to pick a quarterback in the draft, everyone said, of course, you can't go to L.A. with Case Keenum as your quarterback. What, that you, there's no you need somebody with star power. I'm starting to like sort of feel it a little bit not that that like, you need some star power no that like case keenum you know, can live up to it a little live bit up to it a little bit you know? he might be able to and it's gonna take just more wins yeah. you know he said i would rather throw he said if he had the option of throwing touchdowns and getting wins he'd get wins all the time and i like that in a leader you want to hear that from a leader because at the end of the day it is about wins and it's not about the rams being the only team in the nfl that hasn't thrown a touchdown yet out of two weeks, but it's about the W's at the end of the day. And he has the opportunity to really, especially if he just maintains 
the game, mm-hmm. doesn't force anything drastic, doesn't turn the ball over, let the defense do what the defense can do, and you're still able to put up some points and get Ws, mm-hmm. then he can be developed into a little mini star. I think, well, mini star might be. Maybe not mini star, but, but like, yeah. Oh, you mean but, like some like really like capture the imagination of the city. Yeah, because he could be maybe a little underdog story. Like, hey, look, we've been paying attention to this kid the whole time, and he doesn't even know where the sun's at. But so look at this dude over here, and his wife's cute, and she's you know all bubbly. And go that far. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean I don't want to diss the guy too much, but he can be. I don't know what he can be. Let's be honest. I don't know uh, what he can be, but I think, I think I do believe that the game two was more like him. You start making some changes here and there, get Brian Quick off the field, start throwing the ball to Farrow Cooper, and um, Nelson Spruce starts having a rapport with um, with Keenum on third down. Who you know, I, I I'm totally uh, bullish on this team mm-hmm. uh, moving forward. Speaking of moving forward, this Sunday the Rams head to Raymond James Stadium to take on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on uh, Sunday. Um, the Rams are, depending on where you look, anywhere between a four-and-a-half and, and six-point underdog. Um, the Buccaneers were humiliated by the Cardinals. Yes, they last were. Last week, 40-7 to seven in Glendale. believe Jameis Winston five over five, five times. Five times. Or, um as of now, where there are some injuries that I think will affect what happens on Sunday, it's really hard to talk about this game. All pro running back Doug Martin uh, has a hamstring injury and had an MRI earlier today. So we're not sure if he'll be available for Sunday. Uh, Robert Ayers has a bad ankle. Um, and on the Rams side of the, the ball, EJ Gaines might be back, might not be back. Um, I thought that Troy Hill... Uh, filled in admirably for Cody Sensabaugh uh, in this game. Um, you know, Russell Wilson went right at Troy Hill and, and you know, hooked up for that big 55-yarder mm-hmm. at the end. But that was the big play. But still, it was also the big tackle. Yeah. You know, hanging out, making that ankle tackle. Um, I thought Troy Hill competed, was in position to make plays, um, didn't look lost the way Cody Sensabaugh is. So, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I guess I'm okay with him being in there, even though Tampa Bay have, have a couple of very large um, wide receivers uh, in Vincent Jackson and Mike Evans. Um, what are you What are you expecting this Sunday? I predicted it to be a win. Actually, I thought this was going to be. Uh, I have them winning this game, and I thought they would be two and one at this point. Um, I'm going to stick to that, although I want to say that. Ah, I could go either way, but I think they're going to win this game still. I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just, I think they're in one of those teams that still needs to figure it out and figure out who they are. And Jameis, I don't think it can respond very well to adversity yet. I think six points is a a lot of points. That's a lot. To be getting from the Buccaneers, considering in week 14 of last year, the Rams beat the Buccaneers. That was the, um, the, what I call the condiment bowl, uh, where the, the Rams were wearing those mustard looking oh, jerseys and the Buccaneers yeah. were wearing the ketchup the, looking jerseys. The condiment um, bowl. But uh, yeah, I mean, that 30, uh, Keenum had a quiet but efficient game. Um, Tavon had a big game. They had, the Buccaneers had a tough time matching up with him and 
Benny Cunningham had a had a big uh, day returning kicks. Buccaneers. Um, I'm a little worried because they got so spanked um, against the Cardinals yeah. that, and now they're going to be home, so now they're going to get pissed and do exactly what the Rams did. Yeah, that's that's what I feel. So that's yeah. kind of why I'm like, uh, why I want to go back on my pick, but um, I'm going to stick with it because I think the Rams also have a little bit of momentum, and I hope they don't get a chip on their shoulder because they still need to score touchdowns, and they still, like I said, just need to figure out some consistency here. I think a lot is on Rob Boris to continue to throw the ball deep mm-hmm. um, to really challenge the defense downfield because the Buccaneers are really tough against the run and um, they held Gurley to 48 yards last year. Gurley's been struggling there. The Rams offensive line is struggling to get any push uh, on the ground. And I think it's really going to mean, yeah, go first down, throw it second down, throw it third down, throw it, you know, once in a while, sprinkle in a run. Um, don't feel pressured to give Gurley 20 carries to a 30 game. Carries. Yeah. Feel pressured to advance the, the ball, ball and score points. Um, first and 10 at the Buccaneers nine. I don't want to see two runs right now. I want to yes. stick the ball in the end zone. You know, let me see. take a shot in the end zone. Worst comes, worst thing happens. Buccaneers Second take day. over at the 20. Mm-hmm. It's not such a big deal. Um, and you have the Rams defense right. pinning them there. So throw the ball into the end zone. I think um, – what else am I looking for? I think also, you know, one thing that I, I'm going to – this is sort of a strange and bold thing to predict. But um, I think a lot is going to come down to whether the Rams, linebackers, and DBs catch the ball because mm-hmm. – Winston gets careless at times. Um, will throw into windows that either don't exist or are really small. He'll take shots down the field. And yes. if Doug Martin is not um, playing this game, he's going to even more is going to be on the Buccaneers' aerial attack. Um, and um, yeah, I think they're going to get opportunities. And you know, there were a couple of plays last game where you know. It looked like Joyner might. There were shots. Yeah. Ogletree might have a shot there. I think it's might come down. Like, it's nice to break up passes, but when somebody throws it up there for you, you got to like catch the ball. And I think it might come down to that, whether uh, the Rams um, linebackers and secondary can can not just bat down passes, but intercept passes. Yeah. I don't think that's bold at all. I think especially for a team like this and with a defense that is obviously the – the top shelf portion of the franchise you're going to, and you have a quarterback that you want to just maintain the game, not win it for you and not lose it for you. You're going to have to rely on your defense to force turnovers and put up points as well. So, yeah, I don't know. I think um, once again, defensive line, probably they'll be the star Gonna have a big game again. A lot is, you know, they invest a lot in that defensive line. Um, It shows uh, last week, uh, Chandler Jones completely destroyed the Bucks uh, left tackle Donovan Smith. So I think Robert Quinn is going to have a huge day. Um, yeah, I think, goodness, where, where do I stand on all this? I do think the Bucks will probably win. I think they're, they might have too much offensive firepower for the Rams to keep up with. Um, and then the fact that the Rams aren't going to be able to really establish the run um 
is going to leave them um, one-dimensional and vulnerable to turnovers, which they've you know managed. At least this last week, they managed to really avoid. Um, so I think it's a tough matchup. I agree with you. The Bucks are coming in angry. They've got a tough schedule ahead of mm-hmm. them, so it might feel like a must-win. Um, they weren't just beaten; they were humiliated. But um, yeah, I think uh, you know it'll be a close game. Uh, might come down to a possession. Um, it's the sort of game that maybe the home field advantage is enough to to give Tampa Bay the win. But um, it's certainly a a game that the Rams can win. I'm looking forward to their offense continuing to make progress. Um, this is one of those games I think that would be considered a steal air quotes uh, for the Rams. That is. And because too often we play, they, you play up to your competition and you play down to your opponent, you know, and they obviously played down to San Francisco. They played up to Seattle because of the expectations of this team, like given their history and division rival. Um, so in this case, I'd see them, they would probably, play down but i'm hoping that their maturity over all of this and jeff and jeff fisher getting their mind right that they'll realize like we don't i don't care who's on the other side of the ball just play do what you know how to do i don't want to get too optimistic (laughs) you know it was like all right they figured it out we got to win because there's still a lot left to learn but i i'm I'm hoping it's, you know, the fan in me now, it's hoping that this is just one step to them figuring it out. They just have to figure it out. And I think they can get the win. I just really do. I think that they're tired. I think Monday's embarrassment against the 49ers really pissed them off. And I really think that there's some mature captains and some veterans on this team that are going to light up the, the, yeah. the other guys. And so I think that Monday really set a tone for the rest of their season and they don't want to feel that again they don't want to get embarrassed in our final segment which we call film study we usually dissect an episode or scene from a film or tv show that speaks to the meaning of the los angeles rams this week i wanted to change things up a bit and feature a song specifically the one that introduced the team as it rushed out of the Coliseum Tunnel at the beginning of last week's homecoming game. That song is Sabotage by the Beastie Boys, a song we've been sprinkling throughout this episode. Now, at first I thought Sabotage was a strange choice, with the Rams organization seemingly doing all it can to remind fans of its L.A. roots. On more than 100 billboards and wrapped around city buses, trains, and transit shelters all over the city, larger-than-life incarnations of the team's stars interact with L.A. landmarks, from Aaron Donald trampling the Griffith Observatory to Tavon Austin diving for a ball in the middle of two buildings that belong to the downtown skyline to Todd Gurley hurtling the Santa Monica Pier onto the beach below. Sabotage seemed even stranger as the game wore on, and songs like California Love and We Love L.A. were blasted. So why, during perhaps the most climactic moment in the organization's recent history, wearing the team's most iconic colors inside California's most storied stadium, do we get a song from three irreverent MCs from Manhattan and Brooklyn? Was this not a missed opportunity to once again connect the Rams brand with its LA roots? 
Maybe I'm reading too much into things. Maybe somebody just thought the song made for a cool intro. But I got to thinking about 1994, the year that Sabotage first hit airwaves. It was a strange year for pop music. Acts like the Beastie Boys, Green Day, and the Smashing Pumpkins were headlining Lollapalooza and marking a cultural moment when that which was once thought of as alternative became mainstream. Angst, for lack of a better word, was in. Pearl Jam released a studio album built to come across as a thrown-together collection of whimsy. Beck turned the word loser into a badge of honor, and Lisa Loeb charted with a Gen X anthem from a movie called Reality Bites, which could have been the title of the LA Rams' 1994 season, as they went 4-12 with an average home attendance of 43,312 before unceremoniously leaving Southern California and moving to St. Louis. Now, Sabotage isn't really an anthem for the era. When you hear it, you don't think of 1994 the way you might listening to, say, a hit by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, whose taut faces and bodies we saw on display at the home opener seem like they somehow got frozen in 1994. If anything, Sabotage's cultural meaning is linked to the 1970s due to its iconic video directed by Spike Jones. The video, which I can't imagine you haven't seen, is a brilliant and hilarious spoof of 1970s cop shows with high-speed car chases, ridiculously choreographed fisticuffs, and bushy mustaches on made-up actors named Vic Colfari, Sir Stuart Wallace, and Nathan Wind. The setting of this fictitious 70s TV show? Los Angeles. Once again, maybe I'm reading too much into things, but I don't think the song's meaning can be divorced from this video, made by the man who would go on to author some of Los Angeles' most iconic visual poetry. Spike Jones' sabotage video doesn't exactly cast Adam Horowitz, Mike Diamond, and Adam Yawk as Angelinos, but it casts them as actors playing Angelinos during the 1970s, which is sort of a cool reference to the ways the Rams appeared in very frequently kitschy Hollywood fare since they got to L.A. in 1946. But perhaps more importantly, and maybe ingeniously, the song simultaneously references both of the Rams' L.A. incarnations, their Anaheim roots, where they last played in the 90s, but keeping Spike Jones' video in mind, L.A. proper, where they last played in the 1970s. So maybe, just maybe, a random Beastie Boys song is actually the perfect anthem for the Rams' homecoming. Still not convinced? Do me a favor, the next time you hear Sabotage at the Coliseum, cast your eyes at Jeff Fisher and carefully look at his patented Jeff Fisher mustache and tell me he isn't the spitting image of Nathan Wind. Thank you for listening to The Greatest Show on Grass podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and spread the word to friends who enjoy football, Hollywood history, and the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah.